all about personal finance and tax saving moves because this is where the money is. Hi, Fools. I'm financial analyst Michael Douglas, and I am joined today uh, by our director of investment planning, Dan Kaplinger, all the way from Massachusetts. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Michael. Thanks oh, for having fantastic. me on. It is, uh, it is great to have you here. Um, all right, so let's, let's jump right in. Um, you know, folks have been worried about interest rate increases for years. The Fed, the Federal Reserve, of course, looks ready to act when necessary. Uh, what should people be doing with regards to this? And let, let's talk about, you know, some kind of your major areas of debt, you know, mortgages, student loans, credit card debt. Let's start with mortgages. Well, you know, it's funny, Michael, because interest rates fell so, so low, and yet it's surprising just how many people actually never got around to refinancing their mortgages, even when rates went to those historic lows a few yeah, years ago. Yeah, that's true. I mean, think about uh, the Neighborhood Housing Services of Chicago sought out and, and offered help, basically, to people who would be able to benefit from a refi and who would be able to actually get one. And only 17% of people, even with that extra help, actually ended up doing it. And, and this despite the fact that uh, a National Bureau of Economic Research paper indicated that more than 10% of households who could have done a refi would have saved $100,000 or more. And the, and the median was still over $45,000. Yeah, there's just so many things that really kept some people from doing the things Things like the upfront costs, you know, you have closing costs, you have a bunch of other costs involved in getting a refi done. In addition, just, just the hassles of getting some necessary paperwork together in order to make banks happy was just more than many people had the time or ability to do, even though it would have saved them a boatload of money. Now, on the other hand, there were some people that actively sought to refinance their mortgages and found out that with higher bank standards, they just couldn't qualify to yeah, refinance. Yeah, including uh, Ben Bernanke, uh, the, the chairman of the Federal Reserve. Kind of an interesting story we've gotten over the last couple of weeks that he actually sought out a refinance and wasn't able to get one. Yeah, it shows just how tight those lending standards are when somebody who's pulling down a quarter million dollars per appearance to give speeches can't convince a bank that they can refinance that guy's mortgage then. I think most ordinary people might feel justifiably like they don't yeah, have a chance. Yeah, no, definitely, uh, definitely, kind of a kind of a difficult spot for people to uh, folks to be in there. Um, okay, well, so let's turn to student loans then. Um, you know, what should folks who are facing sometimes very large student loans be doing right now? Well, it's always a big challenge to deal with these high student loan balances, and they've been on the rise in recent years. Cost of college tuition has gone up dramatically. And one thing that you really have to be careful of is that there are a number of organizations that are trying to get you to consolidate your student loans, and they're pitching really low interest rates. But the catch is that they're variable interest rates. And so if the Federal Reserve starts to raise short-term rates, the rates on the student loans that you've consolidated will actually go up. And that could cause you trouble down the road. Even if it reduces your monthly payment in the short term, could cause problems down the road. In addition, you can also lose some benefits of your original loans if you consolidate. For instance, some original more, um, student loans have forgiveness terms or deferment terms that can actually get some of your student loans written off. But in some cases, if you consolidate, you don't do it right, you can lose those rights. So it's smart to take a look at ways to lower your interest costs, but just be careful when you're doing it that you don't give up something even more valuable. No, that's, that's definitely good, solid advice. 
And of course, then there's credit card debt, which has been a, an enormous thing here in the United States. So what should people be doing about that? Yeah, credit card debt was sort of left out of the benefits of these low interest rate environment. You're still seeing double-digit interest rates on most credit cards. On some of the lower quality credit cards, you get rates even north of 20%. Always makes sense. If you have any choice in the matter of paying down debts, credit cards should almost always be your top priority. They're the ones that get you in the most long-term trouble well, debt-wise. And, and that, of course, makes sense. I mean, when you look at historic market returns, you know, uh, 7 to 10%, kind of depending on how you count it, you compare that to a credit card um, annual percentage rate of, you know, 20%, it, it seems like a pretty obvious call. Yep. All right. Well, so on the other side of the coin, of course, savers have hoped for higher rates for years. Uh, are they ultimately going to get some relief? Well, you know, the big problem that we've seen is that as rates fell, savings accounts, money market funds, the sorts of things that people use for their short-term money really saw their interest rates plummet. And for years now, we've seen a lot of these short-term accounts paying basically zero interest rates. You see things like 0.01%. That's not doing anybody yeah, any good. I, I think uh, my money market pays like 0.45% or something like that. And I feel pretty lucky with that, to be honest. Um, but that's still, yeah. I mean, that's still below inflation. So, uh, so it goes. Well, and, and then, of course, there's the issue of whether any rising rates will actually get to savers quickly. Yeah, and that's the problem. Usually when the Fed starts to raise interest rates, it still takes time for those to work through the system. So even if you see a headline that says interest rates are on the rise, you shouldn't expect your bank to be in any hurry to give you any more interest than possible. And one reason for that is that rates have been so low that some financial institutions have actually been losing money on those money market funds and other cash saving options that they offer to their customers. And so they really need to make back some of those losses before they start boosting the yields that they're going to pay out to their customers. And so I think that you can probably expect to wait six months, even a year after rates start to go up before you're going to see any marked increase in the rates that savers actually earn well, on their money. Of course, money. then there's the issue of rising rates, actually potentially hurting savers, particularly folks uh, who are, let's say, at or near retirement or just more conservative in their portfolios who tend to favor you know, long-term bond holdings, rates increase substantially, those bonds could be, uh, uh, well, not yielding very much. That's right. And the big problem is that the longer that you stretched out to try to capture some of that yield, the more interest rate risk you took into your portfolio. And so a lot of bond investors might be surprised if long-term interest rates start to go up, the principal value of their investments could actually go down. That's not something that many conservative investors are used to seeing, but it's something you have to keep in mind. And it also points to, if you're looking for income from your portfolio, it's worth taking a look at dividend stocks instead. Sure, they have market risk as well, but they also have a lot more upside potential than bonds do. And so when you consider the risk versus the reward, I think usually you'll find that high quality blue chip dividend stocks are going to do a lot better than long-term bonds at these low right. interest rates. And, and of course, that makes me think, you know, our dividend aristocrats, um, companies like Johnson & Johnson that have just, you know, raised their dividend year in and year out for 25 plus years. Um, really, yeah. So You've got it. Seemed like a really good opportunity. Okay, so moving moving on from income, let's talk about taxes briefly. You know, the end of the year is coming. Uh, 
it feels like yesterday was June, but it is in fact mid-October now, uh, and gosh, Christmas shopping's coming up, but th that's neither here nor there. Um, smart to look at your tax moves now. What's the biggest to-do list? Well, as if the end of the year approach is one of the things that most people start looking at is something that's called tax loss harvesting. And frankly, it's been a couple of years since people thought about it. 2013, stock market really rose a lot. There weren't that many stocks that created losses in people's portfolios. And so there wasn't much opportunity to do this. But this year, 2014 has been a lot rockier, especially in the last couple of weeks. Some people are starting to sit on some losses in their portfolio, and that's where tax loss harvesting can really yeah, come in. Uh, certainly, particularly, I think, in, in kind of the tech and the biotech sectors, there's been uh, a lot more choppiness, in, especially in these last few months. So, so walk us through, what, does, what is tax loss harvesting exactly? How does it work? Well, basically, what you need to do in order to harvest these tax losses is you take a look at your portfolio. If you have stocks that have fallen in value since you bought them, you have a capital loss, but you can't take that loss for tax purposes until you actually sell the stock. And so to harvest the tax loss, you go ahead, sell the stock. That makes that deduction available again to, that you can claim against any capital gains that you have in your account, or you can use up to $3,000 of capital losses to offset other types of income like wage and salary income, interest income, just about anything it's something that can reduce your tax bill and give you at least a silver lining on some of the money that you've lost in those and investments. What if you still see upside in the stock? What if it's a stock that, I mean, you know, it's a foolish long-term holding, the sort of stock that you want to hold on to for the long term. Is there any way to get that capital gain while also still being able to somehow keep a hold of that stock? Well, that's a trick that a lot of people like to do. And so the IRS kind of claim, kind of created a rule to stop people from the obvious trick of selling that stock and then buying it right back. And it's called the wash sale rule. What you have to do is you have to wait more than 30 days after you sell the stock in order to buy it back. If you buy it back before that, you're not allowed to take that loss for tax purposes. But interestingly, that 30-day period runs both ways. And so if the stock has fallen in value, but you really like it, what some people actually do is instead of selling the stock first and then buying it back 30 days later, They'll actually double up in advance, wait 30 days, and then sell the original shares. That leaves them with double exposure for that 30-day period. But then after they sell it, they still have a position equal to their original ownership in the stock, plus they got to take that loss. And this is why it's so good to have someone who is a lawyer uh, working with us to, <laughs> well, to, to, to walk us through what, what can be a very complicated set of processes. Thanks for that. Um, okay, so finally, let, let's get into bank fees. Um, there was a, a recent survey found that bank fees are on the rise again. And, and you know, the number that most, uh, most jumped out to me was that um, the uh, average required account balance for an interest-bearing checking account, if you want to avoid the, the fees, was uh, jumped to $6,211, which is just absolutely incredible to me. Um, just how much money you have to keep on hand if you're going to avoid those fees. Now, that's a fee maybe a little harder to avoid, but there are a couple really smart, easy ones that you can avoid if you're smart about it. So let's, let's, let's jump into those. ATM fees uh, jumped uh, to $4.35 for the uh, ATM owner in your bank. Um, and then overdrafts rose to $32.74 with a monthly maintenance fee of $14.76. How do we avoid? Yeah, the thing is, Michael, I mean, with ATM fees, 
it's really, yeah, it, nothing could be simpler on avoiding ATM fees than simply picking a bank that actually has ATMs in your area. Because when you use an out-of-network ATM, you end up getting hit twice. Your bank is going to charge you for not using their ATM, and the bank that owns the ATM that you use is also going to tack on a fee in addition to that. And that's how you get this ridiculous $4.35 amount. That's even if you just take $20 out of your account, $20, $40, $60. It's a huge percentage, and it's something that you can really avoid just by making smart banking choices. Another option that you have, a number of online banks actually will offer ATM fee reimbursement. They don't want to have to have the expense of maintaining an ATM network of their own, but they want to make that benefit available to their customers. And so they just say, hey, it's cheaper for us to reimburse those fees than it is to spend all the money building out a network. If you find an account like that, it can save you a boatload of money over all these out-of-network ATMs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, and, and let's talk about, uh, you know, overdrafts. You know, how do we, how do we kind of, you know, how can people step around those? Yeah, the interesting thing here is that a few years ago in response to new bank regulation, all the banks had to ask their customers if they wanted what was called overdraft protection. And interestingly, a lot of people who don't have overdraft protection end up doing a lot better than those who do. Because if you opted into overdraft protection, you gave your bank the right to charge you overdraft fees in exchange for covering you when you inadvertently went over your uh, available account balance. On the other hand, if you have a debit card and you try to charge something when you don't have enough money in your account, if you don't have overdraft protection, all that happens is that that purchase is going to get denied. A lot, most of the time you don't even get a fee for that. It just keeps you from making that purchase. And so in many cases, not having the protection ends up saving you a whole lot of money by not ending up having to pay that yeah, fee. Embarrassing, maybe, but, uh, but when, you, when you think about the amount of money you're saving, probably worth it. Yeah, the fees just end up cascading so much that, yeah, a little bit of embarrassment can save you hundreds of dollars. You've heard horror stories about people that rack up six, seven, eight overdraft fees in a single day just from buying things like cups of coffee or lunch, just small five, ten dollar bills that just add up into hundreds of dollars of overdraft yeah, fees. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And of course, uh, there's local banks as well, many of which, to try and build some market share, are trying to find ways to offer either better interest uh, checking accounts or a, a better money market rate on the one hand, or are being a little kinder about things like overdraft fees. Uh, and yeah, that's absolutely right. Fees. No, that's a, that's a good point. Okay, well, uh, sounds good. Dan, thank you very much for uh, joining us today. Uh, folks, want to let you know that um, you know, we, we really are, um, here at The Motley Pool, we're very interested in helping the world invest better. Uh, one of the big ways that we do that is, of course, the Where the Money is podcast. We have other podcasts as well. Um, and one of our big services is uh, The Motley Pool Stock Advisor. It's our uh, flagship service run by Tom Gardner, our CEO, and David Gardner, uh, his brother, our uh, co-founder. Uh, want to let you know that we have a special um, a special 75% off offer for Where the Money is watchers and listeners. If you just text FOOL, that's F-O-O-L, to 38470, again, that's 38470, uh, you can get that offer on your phone and uh, check it out. Um, for Dan Kaplinger, 
I'm Michael Douglas. Thanks much for watching and fool on.